In our last episode, we talked about the, the recruiting funnel, the basics of it, why it works, how it works, why it's useful, etc., etc. To this episode, we're going to go a bit deeper. We're going to get a little more in-depth, both above and below the funnel. We're going to talk about the funnel, not so much as a recruiting funnel, but more as a talent funnel, a way of thinking about all the stuff that works around what you do. I don't know. It sounds vague. It sounds broad. Don't worry. This is going to be a big one. This is going to be a fun episode, um, you know, for the talent cast and for Talent Chooses You, the audiobook 2.0, The Son, The Daughter, The Revenge, The Return. Uh, this time it's personal. We'll be right back. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Talent Cast, as you know. Uh, this season, this year, we're doing the Talent Cast a little differently in that it's the audio version of Talent Chooses You, except it's the 2.0 version. It is annotated. It's me arguing with myself or deciding I made no sense or deciding we could take this farther or whatever. It, the book was written three years ago, so there's a lot of room to add on and to grow it. So that's really what this is about. So Thanks so much for RecruitmentMarketing.com for sponsoring this podcast. They are the community for recruitment marketing professionals. Without them and their sponsorship and support, I probably would not have done this. (laughs) I probably would have distracted myself with something else, even though a couple of people have been asking for this, and I really like making people happy, I guess. Um, It just, it would have fallen off the plate, but they stepped up and said, you know what, this is important, this is useful, let's make this happen, and I thank them so much for that. That's RecruitmentMarketing.com. All right, let's get into it. Uh, oh, I'll be one last thing. If you like what we're doing here and you're an employer brander or you want to become smarter about employer brander, go sign up for my newsletter. It's employerbrand.news. It's a free newsletter. It shows up every Monday. Uh, links to other stuff, annotations about why those links are useful, maybe some big ideas, you know, stuff. Uh, just there to keep you sharp, there to make you a little smarter about what you're doing every single day. All right, let's get into it. Funnel thinking. Find the people to bring to the top of the funnel. Now, we talked last time about the hunter and gatherer model, that recruiters are the hunters. They go out and they find the talent and they smack it on the head with a club and they drag it back to the tribe and they eat it. Or a different metaphor. I don't know. I may have taken that too far. But like primitive hunters, it's time to start to develop farming techniques First, to mitigate that feast or famine cycle that we always find ourselves in, but really, it's to set up a system that produces more tomorrow than we could do today, to ensure that we can meet businesses' demand for talent no matter how fast it grows. And I just want to kind of holler at, you know, make sure that's clear. We didn't accidentally move from hunters to gatherers. I'm sorry, hunters and gatherers to farmers. That was not just something that happened. It made economic sense. It just did. If you can stay in one place and build a little house, you can stay safer, you can build a family, you can grow, you can maximize the harvest, you can maximize what you're doing. You could still occasionally take advantage of the hunt, but you could maintain a baseline of you know, value from your crops and your food and your domesticated animals so that you could build something more. The reason why the hunter-gatherers never built interesting, complicated technology was because they were too busy packing things up and moving to the next place. Everything had to be super portable, right? They could not count on the river. They could not count on a water feed of water. They could not count on a building that they owned or they could maintain or they could grow. They took what they could. They were opportunistic. 
recruiters got to make the same shift. They got to go from being opportunistic and just taking whatever candidates show up and finding ways to build talent before they need it. Now, the way you do that is to expand your horizons a bit, right? You got to see beyond the limitations of the recruiting funnel. I know that, well, actually, I don't know because I wasn't there, but I got to imagine that when farming started, hunters went, that's stupid. That's going to take a year before that food is ready to eat. You're going to starve today, right? That, that thought process happens, that fight between short-term and long-term macro and micro thinking, there's a gap. But until you shift over, until you find a way to make a transition, you will always be living on the whim of the hunt. If there's no animals, you starve and everybody dies, right? You've got to build a place where you can have some control, some agency, some, 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 some process that you can maintain. The goal of the recruiting funnel is to fill the top of the funnel, not caring where the people come from, right? You don't care if they come from a job board or sourced or reference or referral or whatever. You don't care. They just show up. But that's reactive hunter thinking. A farmer thinks about what needs to be done to <clears throat> to encourage more to happen. Right? They don't go, I threw some seeds on the ground, fingers crossed. No. They plow the land, they get rid of rocks and weeds, they put some fertilizer down, they figure out how far away the seeds need to be, they put them that way, they do what they can to irrigate them to make sure each seed gets enough water to grow. They, <clears throat> excuse me, they hope that there's enough um, you know, sunlight to do the thing. They build the opportunity for growth. They don't make the growth, but without them, the growth probably wouldn't happen, right? They're, they're a lot more proactive in that way. They're making the outcome more likely with every process, with every step, as they add irrigation, as they figure out seeds, as they figure out how to cultivate the land, as they figure out how to weed stuff out. So where does talent come from? The obvious answer is that it comes from people looking for jobs, uh, right? I mean, that's not new. It's a deeply transactional model. I have a job. You need a job. We're done, right? And I... I <laughs> I always find it interesting that recruitment marketing is such a weird industry because in all other sales processes, um, you have to convince someone that they need your product. You don't have to convince anybody that they need a job or they need insurance or they need to provide for themselves or for their family. That that comes pre-baked in. They're already pre-sold on the concept, right? When they introduced the, I don't know, the dryer sheets, they had to explain, look, your clothes, because they're in a dryer and not hanging out in the sun, they're all staticky and they probably don't smell the best. You need a thing that fixes those things. They had to identify the problem. They had to sell the problem and then they could sell the solution. No one goes, wait, I, oh gosh, I guess I should get a job. No, that's already done for you, but that's just an aside. Let's remember that the better grade of talent aren't trolling job boards. They're not hanging out on Indeed. They're not showing up on LinkedIn to look at the jobs. They might be in LinkedIn to read content. Maybe, you hope, fingers crossed, probably not. But they're not there to look for jobs. They don't need to. This is where the really meager talent, this is where your C-level talent are because they're trying to commoditize themselves and they're getting good at it. If they were really good at, them, at, the, at the job itself, someone would have poached them, right? Someone would have seen them and said, oh, you wrote a really interesting article. You published a really interesting thing. You built this amazing product. You should work for us. And they would grab them and give them a lot of money and drag them back to the, you know, the cave or the tribe or whatever 
to eat them, I guess. I don't know. I'm taking this metaphor real far. Enjoy. So what you're left with as a recruiter are C-quality talent for the most part. These are the people who go, I'm going to look for jobs because I don't have a network, because I don't, my work isn't so obviously good that people are asking me, asking to talk to me. So I'm just going to go ahead and hit apply. So you got to understand that the people applying for jobs cold are not necessarily the talent you want, right? So if you want more talent, you got to look above the funnel. You got to understand where that talent comes from. So for most recruiters, this is like staring into the sun above the funnel. That's not my job. That's, that's not something I control. That's like what God does. Whatever picture of God you need to use, if you have one and what other, just say cosmos deity, I don't care. Job descriptions and requisitions kind of appear by magic, right? The, the HRBP does the dance and, the, and they, they shake the stick and suddenly the job shows up and it's called an opportunity or requisition and it shows up in the, in the, the HRS system and we get to turn into a job, right? It's, it's voodoo. <laughs> it's really what it is. It's shaking bones and sticks and reading tea leaves. It just happens by magic. But above the funnel is where the game rules get set. So we need to understand how that happens and think about where it comes from so that we can make some adjustments and we can kind of make some impact on it to make the rules work for us. So let's start by saying that this conversation occurs independently of the team or process of your company, right? It's not about approved requisitions. In some companies, these things come from HR and sometimes they come from an HRBP and sometimes they come from the hiring manager and I'm not worrying about that stuff. It might come from an executive approval. It, da, da, da. That's not what we're talking about here. Let's just take a process and call it a process, regardless of how many people and steps it takes for you to do that process. I don't care if you need a step that takes a week from, eight, from Comp and Ben. If it does, it does. That's, that's your world. I can't change that. But understand that a process happens before it comes to you. We're not going to invent and reinvent HR. We're going to think about what happens and how do we influence. And what happens when a requisition comes through is we say, okay, we need this nurse and we're going to pay 70% of the standard wage for that person? Wait, what? Or we need an electrician who has an MBA? Wait, what? Or the requisition says, we need to hire 10 experienced salespeople in Topeka in the next 60 days, despite the fact that no one in Topeka has any idea who we are. What? <laughs> These are painful asks and they are not uncommon. And depending on your process, none of these things are surprising. What you need to think about is where do those requests come from? I don't mean from HR. I don't mean from Comp and Ben. I mean, where does the need come from? It comes from a business need, right? The business needs an electrician who has an MBA. The business needs a nurse and they don't want to pay much for it. The business needs to build a sales team in Topeka. Do it. That's how they're going to grow. Now, there's a saying in marketing that when someone comes into your store asking for a half-inch drill bit, they don't actually want a drill bit. What they really want is a half-inch hole. Honestly, you can take it a step farther, and you should, because what they really want to do is hang a painting or a mirror. Seth Godin, the, the godfather, talks about how it's not so much that they want to hang a mirror or hang a painting. What they want, the thing that drives them, the thing that got them in the car to your store asking a complete stranger for this thing was the feeling of having completed a project. Or worse, 
the feeling of wanting to get someone off their back. <laughs> but that's, you know, let's keep this simple here. Um, it's really about what is the purpose of the hire? What is the, the thing they're going to solve? So when someone says they want an impossible hire, what they're doing is reacting to a business need. They're not just trying to piss you off. They're not trying to make your recruiter's lives harder. They're simply saying, I need a cheap nurse or I need an electrician who knows an MBA, who can read a P&L statement. That they want a thing. They need a problem solved. They need to sell a bunch of stuff in Topeka and they don't know how to do it. So quick, just go hire a bunch of people. They're kind of, if you think about it, and you should, offloading their business problem onto the recruiter. Hey, I don't know how to sell in Topeka. You go and find me 10 salespeople in Topeka to sell for me. Hey, suddenly my problem just became your problem. And in fact, the metrics say it's now 100% your problem. If you don't hire those people, you're bad at your job. I'm not bad at my job. That's not on me. In fact, I get to tell my boss, I would have sold in Topeka, but the recruiter didn't come through and didn't bring me my salespeople. Is that a little... Machiavellian? Yeah. Is it accurate? Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening. The recruiter is getting handed a problem, but it's taking the shape of a solution. The business needs to solve a problem. They do not ask the recruiter, how would we solve this problem? They simply say, this is how we're going to solve it. Recruiter, you go do it. And to be perfectly clear, that sucks. Okay. We're all in agreement. That sucks. A business has a business need. It demands that the talent solve that need, fills that need. The recruiter can take the request and, and do the work to fill it, but that makes the recruiter an order taker. And that, again, sucks. You know, you don't want to be someone who just does what you're told. Are you an order taker? Do you want to be surrounded by order taking recruiters? Of course not. That kind of position says that you don't have much skill or experience or knowledge of knowing how to write an in-mail or you know, anything beyond you know, just navigating the ATS, knowing where that form is and knowing where that field is that you have to check to make sure it shows up as a remote job when it goes to the trickles down to the 17th job board. Maybe that's the skill as an entry-level recruiter, but I suspect that as a pro, you bring a lot of information to the table and this process isn't leveraging it. So for example, you know what wage you need to pay a nurse to get someone who can spell RN to show up. You know what the going rate for a nurse is. You know, and honestly, you could do a quick LinkedIn search to prove it, exactly how many electricians have NBAs. Maybe it's 10. And maybe those 10 exist across the entire country and they, each one of them knows their value and they know that they're unusual. Now, to be fair, there are not a lot of jobs for them that take advantage of both, but the ones that have, that need that, they are the only ones to call. And that means they know what their cost is, what their value is, what they should be charging for that, right? You know that if you want to hire a bunch of people in Topeka, this is what it takes. It's not just about a salary. It's this is how much we have to spend to market the brand. This is how much we have to do to run an event. This is where we should be hiring from. You have knowledge and experience around that to, to think beyond, here's a problem, go solve the problem. You're an expert. In a way, you're a consultant. And I wish and I hope that you embrace this idea. You got to understand that the talent market is a market and you understand that market better than the hiring manager does. You need to find a way to inject your expertise into the business rather than letting it happen. 
That's how you reject this frame of order taker and showcase your ability as a consultant to make a far greater impact. This is what it's going to take. This is what it's going to cost. This is what we're going to need. Would it make more sense to split that job? Okay, let's go to the, the, uh, the MBA electrician. Maybe it's cheaper to split that one job into two jobs because getting one person to do both jobs is insanely expensive. That's knowledge you may have and you should be feeding it. The business need is only one of the things that makes the requisition happen. There's a lot of HR processes that get brought to bear before the approval lands in your lap. Yeah, comp and ben are part of it. It's not about that though. Where is this job going to live? And I mean that organizationally and geographically. What's the title and the level, right? You want to hire someone who drives an entire hospital's worth of nurses? You can't call them the manager. You got to call them a different title. They're a director. They're a whatever. They're a senior lead, whatever it is. You know that stuff because you're surrounded by other nurses. You're surrounded by this talent. You know <clears throat> what it costs to find someone with experiences, skills, and certifications required and you got to know that some of those are going to have to be nice to have and what's the value in those things. All of those decisions have a clear and direct impact on the recruiter's ability to fill the role. I'm going to say that again. All of those decisions, where it lives, title, level, compensation, all of that stuff, experience, skills, certs, whatever, all of it impact your ability to fill the role, your ability to make the hire. Every single one of them impacts how people will see the role, how people will consider the role, how people will apply for the role. Every single one. And all those decisions are out of your hands. Yeah, I'm going to let that sit for a second. Given the requisition, an insanely complicated and, and understanding only to people who work inside the company kind of title, um, a lot of vernacular, a lot of jargon, um, putting in a weird spot, putting the job in an organizational structure that makes no sense to it, defining the role as being based in a city, forcing them to come into the office every day when they may not necessarily have to do that. Each one of those things creates a different talent search, Right? Hiring someone at a manager level or a director level has implications when trying to attract someone with the experience. The very text of the job posting can double or halve the number of people who respond to it. A well-written job post attracts talent. It makes people go, ooh, I get what this job's about. Ooh, I can see how I might be good at this. Ooh, I can see the value of this. A bad job posting made people go, I don't get it oh, I'm not going to waste another split second worrying about your junk. I'm going to go to my next thing, right? A good recruiter can't let other people make all those decisions for them. They can't happen in a vacuum where recruiters and employer brand have no impact on them whatsoever. Not when a recruiter has the expertise to kind of influence them. You have to shape the role. You have to speak up. You have to position and talk about how it's positioned or communicated. In a, that's just how it's going to have any chance to work. Now, full disclosure, accepting this new view of the world means that a good recruiter is now accepting more responsibility and more work within the hiring process. Again, just like as the hunter becomes the farmer, there's more work to do. You have to kind of hunt and farm at the same time for a while. That's the investment you need to be willing to make your world better. 
You got to learn how to hunt while you're kind of tilling the soil and getting ready weeds while you plant, right? You got to do both. It sucks, but it yields long-term benefits. The goal isn't to ask recruiters to do all the work. The goal is to start to shift from seeing a recruiter's job as recruiting instead of playing a vital role in hiring. The goal isn't to recruit. The goal is to hire. And that's something I think we should kind of underline a bit more. The recruiter, the recruiting is a process, is a task, but its goal is not to recruit. The goal is to hire. Everything should be worked around that goal. That means there are things that are not quote unquote recruiting that impact the goal of hiring. You have to see those things as connected. Yeah, the recruiter's got to be a part of the framing and the approval process, and that's using time they don't have. No, recruiters are not trained copywriters who can turn a job posting into poetry. The shift takes time. It is hard. It uses resources in places you're not used to. But it won't take long before a recruiter's influence supports the work farther downstream, right? I know plenty of recruiters who are the only one who can talk to that hire manager who everybody else hates because they've built that relationship. They've invested the time in building that relationship with that recruiter to say, I'm the one who can tell them no. I'm the one who says, that request is insane. Let's talk about what it could be. Same idea. You're starting to invest in the process and the relationships, not just the, how do I find more bodies to put in the seats? By helping to shape and frame the roles before they become go live on the job boards, recruiters are ensuring that the people are more likely to listen and consider the opportunity. Smart work at the top of the funnel makes less work at the bottom of the funnel. Now, less work doesn't mean more time at the foosball table and more time drinking. I know you recruiters, and the answer is drinking. But it means focusing not on the work of moving candidates through an ATS, the, the, the junk work, or facilitating them through an interview process, which is time consuming, but in building relationships with people who haven't even entered the funnel. Right? We talked about great talent doesn't want to apply. We talked about that they're not trolling job boards. What it wants is to get to know you. It wants to build a relationship with a bunch of companies, not a lot of companies, but enough to build its own internal consideration list to say these are the five or three or 10 companies who when the stars align, I would love to work there. That doesn't just happen, right? It takes time. No one wants to feel rushed as they make some sort of life-changing decision. Recruiters who are positioned to understand the brand as a whole as well as the specific role, are the great and honestly, they're probably the perfect connection between the prospect and the, grand, and the brand. Recruiters know and can share stories, articles, videos. They can tell the specific story about that role, about that hire manager, about that boss, about that office, about that team, about that company. They can remind prospects of events. They can talk about, hey, there's stuff going on. There's other op- educational opportunities. There's ways of facilitating informal and, and you know conversations or interviews. A way of giving great talent a chance to ruminate, to think, to consider, and to make a decision based upon not urgency, which feels like a scam, but based on information and a timeline that they own. Now in sales, this is called account management, right? Salespeople can be measured on their output, but they know that 
sparking those relationships, nurturing the relationships is how the sales get done. Recruiters can follow that same kind of thinking, but more on the power of building relationships as we work down the funnel. We're going to get to that stuff because in the moment, we're going to talk about the other side of the funnel. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. All right, let's finish up our funnel thinking here. Leveraging people to help you fill the top of the funnel. So having talked about everything that happens above the funnel, the business process, the requisition creation process, the business need, now it's time to look below the funnel. That is the funnel ending at the moment of hire, below that spot, which is a place that most recruiters don't even bother looking. Because this is unusual. Recruiting professionals don't, normally worry much about what happens after the hire, right? Their role has always been described to them as, hey, the second that hire shows up, the second they show up on day one, you're good. Collect your check. You did a good job. You, you know, check the box. You're done. That You're done. There's other people to handle. There's onboarding people. There's hire managers. There's other people to take care of this stuff. There's HRBPs to manage stuff. It's not your job anymore. Some recruiters you know, they show up on day one and facilitate and they take them to their desk and get them a, you know, an ID badge or maybe show them to the hiring manager and kind of do a transfer on day one to say, okay, here you go. You're out of my hands. I was your closest relationship in this entire business for a while, but now that relationship is moving. Ah, uh, you don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> and that's unfortunate. I mean, yeah, there are a couple of recruiters who will go and say, okay, checking in a couple weeks later. How's it going? Everybody good? Cool. But that's really unusual. Below the hire is, um, it's not just unusual for a recruiter. It's actually the rest of the business. Rather than think of this part of the funnel as the stuff that happens after the hire and has nothing to do with me, we need to start thinking about this as a resource and channels that every recruiter should and could use to shortcut the rest of the recruiting funnel. The people who have been hired are a resource we should be tapping into. Turns out that they now know the interview process. They know the candidate journey. They know what they've been through. They're starting to learn the company, and many times they've been here a while now. They know the company at a deeper level than any candidate could They show up every day suggesting a level of engagement, either because or despite they've seen the good and the bad and internalized it. They're not wondering what's it going to be like. They know. There are no more secrets from them. They are, they've converted from a resource, you know, you're hoping to convert to a resource you can tap to attract more. They are untapped resources because they exist below the hiring line, a place recruiting usually doesn't ask to, it doesn't ever go. Unless you've been invited to a lot of business strategy meetings lately? No? Okay, I didn't think so. We're going to open this up. This is the space where you're going to learn how to leverage more candidates and leverage more people and leverage more brand awareness. 
to really draw more candidates to your job. That's where we're going to focus. But we're going to focus on that next section. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I want to thank RecruitmentMarketing.com for sponsoring this podcast. It's RecruitmentMarketing.com, a community for recruitment marketing professionals. Thanks again for being a part of this. Um, As always, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, EmployerBrand.News. Otherwise, feel free to email me, check me out, go to LinkedIn, find me. I'm easy to find. Complain. (laughs) Congratulate. I don't know. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. I will see you all next week. best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.